Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio, where each week we talk to a musician, artist, author, or other creative Mississippian working in the arts across the state. I'm your host, Melody Moody Thordis, Director of Grants at the Mississippi Arts Commission. And today I'm talking with Max, new arts-based community development director, Leslie Barker. Leslie, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, let's just go right in. Tell me a little bit about... Um, about growing up, you grew up in Clinton, is that right? I did. I grew up in Clinton, Mississippi. Uh, I lived in North Mississippi until I was about seven in Baldwin. I was born in the Boonville Hospital. And then I moved to Clinton and lived there uh, and, and went to Clinton High School and uh, lived there until I went to Hattiesburg for college. You told me the other day you went to you you were a classmate of Lance Bass, is that right? Oh I, yeah, I was a class. <laughs> we were the same grade. We had a we had uh, lockers next to each other. Um, because Barker and Bass alphabetically went to the same church. I remember some church camping trips. And I could be wrong, and I could have made this up in, in my mind, but I'm pretty sure I was on a Behind the Music on VH1 one time because they showed our yearbook page, and we were right next to each other. So pretty sure that happened. I think I remember that. <laughs> so um, He was a nice guy, by the way. So. Tell me... Tell me how you kind of got into, I know you have a passion for writing and mm -hmm. theater, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that, um, but kind of tell me, young Leslie, you know, how you kind of got interested in that. Yeah, I think like probably my earliest obsessions as a kid were, I like to write stories. My mom tells me I wrote stories all the time, and I loved music. Like, I've always loved music. I'm not really a musician. I try to play the ukulele, but... <clears throat> Rarely, <laughs> but I, but I love music. I mean, from the time you know I had I was six or seven with a cassette player playing the Monkees and the Beatles and the Beach Boys, and you know just always like just took in as much art and language as I could. I remember seeing a musical for the first time at Mississippi College because it was in my hometown and just being spellbound. But um, I think I've always liked words. And the reason I thought I could be a writer was because my sixth grade teacher, Patricia Stewart, uh, she's awesome. And so if she hears this. Thank you. She told me I was a good writer. So I believed her <laughs> and uh, tried out for the newspaper staff at her recommendation and stuck with it through high school and um, and then was on our uh, creative writing magazine called The Laurel Leaves. I was on staff for that. So I know that um, your background is in theater, mm -hmm. and it's so easy for everyone to just assume that you're an actor, right? Oh, yeah. So, that's a, that's a so tell, point. <laughs> yeah, tell me a little bit about kind of what got you from writing to kind of the theater. Was it by way of acting, or was that never... A part of it. Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm not an actor, like, at all. Um, my One of my best friends in high school is a great actor, and I would go see a lot of plays because of that. But um, I did one play in high school, and I was the assistant director for my teacher, and that was it. And then I got to college, went to William Carey College in Hattiesburg. It's this tiny school that has an incredible theater program. And for some reason, like, I thought, oh, 
I can write plays. I had never written a play. Like, I was just like, that seems like a practical thing in my, like, 18-year-old brain. Um, So I was majoring in English, minoring in theater, and started doing some stuff in the theater department. And it just, like, really took over my life. Like, I mean, I was, I guess I, like, kind of found my tribe, you know. And um, I really got into it through sound design uh, because of my love of music. So... Once I think my sophomore year hit, I think I sound designed all of our shows until I graduated, which was not me playing things. It was me finding things. Yeah. So for our yeah. listeners who don't know, explain explain sound design that you're referring to. Right. So in a, like there's all like sound design's a b- wonderful, beautiful field, but like it could be anything from original composition by a musician, which I don't do, but I love working with musicians to create. Um, because it's going to be like the mood and the tone of the play. It could be fully art, like, um, you know, working like sound effects, creating sound effects out of something like using a paper bag or a plastic bag to crinkle and sound like fire, you mm-hmm. know. And I have gotten, we can talk about this more later, but I have done quite a bit of that with an audio theater company that I came to later. But, um, and, you know, we didn't have like any fancy equipment back then. So I would have like stacks of cassette tapes and like sometimes be making the sound effects live. But, um, but I loved that. And um, that's kind of, that was my gateway into it. And my, I guess, junior and senior year, I had to, every senior had to direct a project. And I think I did a small one junior year for fun. And then senior year did a fully, like a full one act and just loved it. I mean, I think there's something that directors have to, directors have to love language and stories because you're taking the story and working with an ensemble or a group of actors to, to breathe life into it. And I just fell in love with it. So I think, I think that, um, that, plays and the stage were became my way into stories so this was in college that was in college okay. yes right so you're learning how to do it yeah as well as kind of falling in love yeah with it, you're like right? taking classes and like like directing one was learning about directing and doing like small classes and directing two was your senior year and you had to direct like a one-act play I see. And then what did you want to do after that? Oh, what man, what was had, the goal? <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> you know, I like really, really didn't know. You know, I I kept like thinking like also maybe I wanted to be a social worker and kept thinking about changing my major because I always had this like, you know, heart to want to like change the world. And I didn't know what that looked like either. But I ended up being a teacher. Um, I kind of fell into it because my parents were like, you got to get a job. And I was like, oh, yeah. So, um my parents like super encouraged me to do that. And I was like, but I need to be an artist. I I didn't know what I was going to do. And uh, so I ended up getting a job at Power APAC when I was like a year out of college, um, which is here in Jackson, Academic and Performing Arts Complex. For what age? It's fourth through 12th grade. So I taught middle school in the morning, elementary in the middle of the day, and high school at the end of the day. And that is where I really learned to be an, a director, was there. And and what do you mean by that? Like, you're saying, like, Power APAC put on plays and you were yeah. directing them. Yeah, we um, we did uh, at least three plays, three plays a year, one with each age group, um, sometimes more. And, um, and so part of my job was to be a director. And um, 
I, you know, had these incredible students. Like I will always think of that group of kids as like as my kids, even though in the big scheme of things, they weren't that much younger than me. Um, still keep in touch with a lot of them. But I taught them for four years, you know, so um, I had a lot of time to spend with them. And they had some just incredible artists, incredible actors, writers, comedians and you know, we one of my favorite projects to this day I've ever done was a show that we wrote together called Love Hurts, and we did it on Valentine's Day, and it was like a sketch comedy show, and they were so funny and so good and so talented that, like, they were my first real, like, collaborators, you know, outside of college, and working with them taught me how to do it. Like, I think, I think they taught me as much as I taught them, you know. So you leave Power APAC, and this is when you go to Memphis? Yes. I I think after four years of teaching the same kids, I was like, man, I'm out of stuff to teach them. <laughs> you know, I, think I, I think I taught them everything. But the real reason was I had developed such a love for directing that um, I started looking at, at grad student programs and um, applied to the University of Memphis to, to study directing and get my MFA. And it all worked out. And what was, up to Memphis. what was studying directing at a grad school level like? So the program that I did was um, they took two directors a year. So it was like a very intensive, like you and this one other person and then the other people in their, their years um, studying super intensely about um, script analysis, history of it all current plays, styles of directing, styles of acting, how to talk to actors. Um, a lot of the program I was in, which I really appreciate, was about learning what your style is style and collaboration. Style and collaboration was one of the first classes everybody took, and it was really about how to talk to each other. Like, how do you talk to each other as designers and directors and as a team? How do you work together and understand each other and communicate? Because theater is so so collaborative you know it's it's not a thing you do by yourself um you know not often <laughs> anyway does anyone do it by themselves it really is a takes a village to do it and it's it's such a team sport but um so you know there's a lot of of very like intense academic study of theory and um you know uh, analysis but it was also super practical like a lot of the work was producing work like your first year it's three-year program so your first year you do like two really small plays and then your second year you do like a kind of medium-sized play and rep with another show the other director and your third year you do a really big show on the the season of the the whole department and Basically, you're always doing it. You learn by directing constantly. <laughs> and I know that when you talk about directing, you talk about theater. But mm -hmm. did you study, like, directing for films and directing for TV and that kind of thing, commercials? Is that kind of something that they delineate in kind of a yeah, school really for directing? Yeah, it's, it's really separate. <laughs> uh -huh. um, I think that, like, you know... As far as direct, as far as at least our program, like there were people in grad school for directing in the film department. Um, actors have a little more crossover, as far as I know. Like you know, like actors will do, um, you know, styles of they they learn both styles. You know, the, how to act on stage, how to act on screen. It's super different. <laughs> there's you know, there's the uh, on screen is a much more like close up 
subtle personal kind of thing and on stage you have to you have to reach an audience across a threshold you know you have to have things have to be a little bit bigger a little more a little more theatrical for lack of a better word but um you know i i have never directed film i mean i've worked with friends on film projects with like ideas and conceptualization but like for me it's all about what's live um because it's just the medium of it is 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 very different it's very immediate uh, you know so much more immediate and it's uh thrilling because things can go wrong <laughs> which yeah. is part but but also it's it's kind of beautiful so i love that about it so um and i'm just curious about this, this is why i keep kind of delving in here but so it's not that you don't feel capable of doing a different thing it's more that you feel drawn to directing in theater or is it so different that you're like you know what that's not my area yeah I mean I think like the thing that if there was a film thing that I would want to do I think I would love to do music videos Mm. because I really like the um I like the magic of theater I like the like kind of the fact that we're buying into this thing that's not real and there's just a sort of um a different kind of acceptance of that I think walking into a theater I like I I don't really I I mean I love to watch a good realistic play but I don't I want to make something that's kind of magical that might I love magical realism um the things that kind of push the boundaries of reality a little bit and there's just so many ways to do that on and I'm interested on how you do that minimally with just some actors and and some some magic in the room you know how do you how do we take pretty much nothing but these words and these stories and make something really magical out of nothing? And that's that's sort of what draws me to it. I also like the immediacy of it and being very close to the people who are telling the stories. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. Each week on the Arts Hour, representatives from the Mississippi Arts Commission speak with different creative people across Mississippi. Today, I'm honored to speak to the brand new arts-based community development director at the Mississippi Arts Commission, Leslie Barker. So, Leslie, before the break, we were talking about um, how you got into directing Mm -hmm. and um, your work in theater. So I wanted to see if you could tell me a little bit more about some of your Favorite directing projects um, and, you know, just your experience with that. Yeah, I have a good friend who's a director that always says, my favorite project is the one I'm working on right now. So I try to make that true. But I did just recently finish a project in April called The Clean House um, by a writer that I really, really like named Sarah Rule. It was nominated for a Pulitzer in 2005 or six. But um, I would literally been wanting to do the show for about 10 years, and it was... Um, I did it at Theater Memphis uh, in in a black box space called the Next Stage, and it's uh, it's the magical realism that I was talking about. Like it's it's got real emotions, real stories, but then things happen like it snows in the living room, and you know just there's just kind of these beautiful images that that happen. There's a giant mess made at at one point that's also really fun, but. Um, I had just an incredible, incredible team of people. It's a five-person ensemble, beautiful ensemble, and um, my design team made just the most beautiful space for us to play in. You know, there was these clouds that lit up different colors and um, and uh, had a, 
original music by actually a Mississippi artist, Joe Johnson. He grew up in Meridian and uh, created just the most beautiful atmospheric music and sound for the for the, the whole show that scored it. And um, yeah, it was a really good experience. That's my most recent directing project. And it was a good one. It was it was fun. And what about some of your favorites? Yeah, um, you know, I was. I was thinking about some of my favorite stuff from the past and I got to direct this show a few, like several years ago. It was 2009 by another Mississippi writer that I, that is just wonderful. His name is Jerry Dye. He's in Chicago now, but he grew up in Amory and uh, he wrote this piece called Cicada and it is everything beautiful about the South. I mean, it's just, you know, stories and memories and old stuff in an attic and, you know, like literally the sound of cicadas and ghosts of family members past. And it was just this beautiful haunting piece. And he actually won a um, Fellowship of Southern Writers Award for that for that piece and ended up um, taking it to Chicago and furthering it. I think some other theaters in Mississippi have done it, but um I think maybe in Tupelo, but I get, that was the first production. So, you know, working on an original production is, is just a really difficult in a beautiful way kind of thing, you know, because it's like the first time you're putting it on its feet and how does this sound out loud and does this work? And, you know, you might be rewriting until the last minute, you know, so, um, but it's, but it's very alive, you know, it's very alive and it's kind of this living, breathing organism and, you know, just thing that you're making with people. And I think another thing about that show was I got to work with such incredible, um, just people and they were all far more experienced than me and I didn't really know what I was doing. I was right out of grad school. And so I think it was just, it was an honor to, to be in the room with the people that I got to work with on that show. And it was just so, it was so Mississippi, you know, it was so Southern and, and, uh, it was, I think kind of a turning point for me and just like embracing what being from Mississippi means and, and just the poetry and the beauty of that. So I loved that show. So you've recently joined the staff at the Mississippi yeah, Arts Commission, yeah. um, as the arts based community development director. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit about, um, particularly for those listening who want to, you know, get to know you more, um, want to talk about kind of what arts-based community development means to you. Mm. And then I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about your experience with, you know, community engagement mm. and, and that type of work. So so first let's start with tell me a little bit about, you know, what, what that means to you, like arts-based community development. You know, I think like for me personally, I, you know, it's first and foremost I am very interested in how – the arts are for everyone and how the arts can be accessible to everyone and should be accessible to everyone. Um, but also like how can our, how can art develop our communities more? How can art help our communities? How is it a tool um, to do that? But for me, like one of the starting points with that is the sharing of stories, because I think we like have all these walls that we build up between each other. And there's so many divisive things in our world that communities don't talk to each other. And sharing stories is a way that we just understand things on a human level in a way that we don't other facts, you know? And um, so being able to use, you know, it's, it's as much just human as it is art, but it's both, you know? Um, and being able to use like people's stories and people's experiences 
to uh, find common ground, common concerns, common hopes and dreams, um, I think is kind of where it all starts for me, you know? Yeah, I think a lot about, you know, we talk about Mississippi story being one mm-hmm. of its best assets mm-hmm. and communities um, knowing their story and mm-hmm. being able to tell their story, um, particularly to visitors. Absolutely. You know, um, you know I know you and I have talked mm-hmm. about this, mm-hmm. this idea of um, not just working with communities to tell their own stories, mm-hmm. but that visually and through the senses, mm-hmm. through the arts, that that's an experience, yeah, you know, that absolutely. you have in a community. Um, it's something that, you know, really interested me um, mm-hmm. at MAC as well. So talk to me about um, kind of your work in that area, in outreach. and Yeah, you know, I spent um, about six years as, as an outreach and education director at a theater in Memphis, at Theater Memphis. Um, and that work led me to working with, just neighborhoods and communities throughout the city. Like most of, you know, my work was done out of the building, out of the office with people who never would have thought to come into a theater, you know? Um, And I I was able to do this fellowship in, uh, I think it was 2014, that was about community engagement. And just, it was kind of like, you know, I mentioned earlier, I'd always wanted to like change the world and be a social worker. And it was, it kind of was the thing that made sense for me. I was like, okay, this is art. This is helping people. This is connecting with people. And uh, I just sort of never looked back from that. Um, I was, I started working in a a neighborhood called Orange Mound a lot, um, which is one of the first neighborhoods in America where African-Americans could own a home. And so there's this beautiful pride there um, that I had to learn, you know, I had to learn because it wasn't my neighborhood, but, um, you know, got to work with the people that lived there about what their hopes are because, you know, they've seen a lot of like hardship over the years. And, and now really art is being used to, to draw so much um, of that pride and history out, but also what's happening now there, you know. But um, I think another, like, huge turning point for me was I lived in a neighborhood called Binghampton, um, which is an incredibly diverse neighborhood. Lots of people from other countries, a lot of immigrant families, a lot of refugee families. So um, if you live in that neighborhood, your neighbors don't look like you. You know, they just – and that's awesome and it's beautiful. But it's also a place where everyone knows each other, everybody looks out for each other. And I worked with um, an organization called the Caritas Village as well as the Center for Transforming Communities to tell the stories of the neighborhood. And this, you know, I've, I've been lucky to do this in some other places too, but this was my first one. And it started with just really long conversations with people, you know, like people sharing their stories. And, and none of them looked alike, none of them, you know, but the way it it all turned into a play. And so the way it happened was I would transcribe the interviews. And so I spent this amazing amount of time, like 
just doing the tedious task of like typing what people were saying. And I'm not sure I've ever listened to people speak that closely, but like, it's like they were in my head, you know, so I have these earphones on and I'm typing it and you, you catch every pause and breath. And it was just this form of intensive listening that was probably far more transformative for me than it was for anybody else. But, um, but there was just this, this thing that happened and, and I realized just, just how transformative other people's stories are and like how much I connected with them, how much I learned from them, how much they overlap, even if it's a person from the suburbs and a person from the Sudan um, and just where, what our common threads are. Uh, it was just, it was just really beautiful. And we put that together in a performance and had a meal together uh, to celebrate it all, had a potluck and, um, I think food should always go with storytelling. <laughs> I think it disarms us in a way that that nothing else can is sharing a meal together. So, so that kind of led me down the path of um, further down the path of community work, and um, there's just nothing like it. So, how did you get people to tell you their stories? Were was it? I mean, some people would like dying to tell you, and some people you have to pull it out of. How does that? How do you see that? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, what my friend, a friend of mine that I collaborated on the project with, was like, "What if no one wants to tell our stories?" And I was like, "I never thought of that as a as a possibility." Um, and and it wasn't a problem at all. Um, what I have found is that if you genuinely ask someone their story, they would they want to tell it. Um, sometimes, like I've worked with the young people a lot, uh, it takes some, some getting started, you know, it takes some, are you really going to listen or do you really care or getting past that? But, um, I, you know, people wanted to share their stories. Now with that said, they were my neighbors, they were my friends. Um, they were people I'd already shared meals with, built trust with, and that I knew had something they wanted to say and share. But, um, for the most part, I think that if it comes from a genuine place and it's really for the good of, of the community and the person, I think people people love to share their stories. So tell me about um, your time at the Caritas Village. Mm-hmm. Is that what it's called? Yeah, the Caritas Village. So that's where I did a lot of that work. I spent some time there uh, running an after-school program, and this is in the same neighborhood as well, Um and also as as the director there, it's a community center. It's uh it's an arts um, space. I don't know how there's an art gallery, but it's also a lot of arts happen there. And it's also a coffee shop slash restaurant. Um, Caritas in Latin means love for all people, and that's that's what it what it stands for. And I think that like yeah that that taught me so much about being on the other side, not being an arts community, working with a community organization, but like what it truly is to work in the midst of a community organization, because it was a place that's kind of all things. It is a place still that it's kind of all things to all people. I never knew what my day would look like. Um, Sometimes it was meetings about fundraising. Sometimes I would walk in and help someone who didn't speak English as their first language 
figure out their insurance, you know, or what's the goal of the organization? I guess I'm unclear the, about that. Yeah, it's 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 a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. The goal, the reason it was started, it was started by this wonderful woman named Oni Johns. Um, the mission is to break down the walls of hostility between the like people of different races and the classes, and to um, provide an alternative to the to the streets for kids and to um, just connect people on there, um, you know, just to, to bring all kinds of people together. So if you were like, everybody got fed, whether you could pay or not, it was a space for people to meet. We had book clubs, activist groups, Bible studies. It was kind of that third space for people to meet and then um, use as a meeting space. And also we had arts events and an art gallery. So it kind of was just like the, the place people went, in the neighborhood when they needed something, but also people from all over the city came. And at lunchtime, there might be a businessman in a suit at one table and the table next to him, there might be someone who's in between homes, you know? So it was kind of this great neutralizing, like this neutral ground for all kinds of people. Um, so it's kind of a place that was all about like feeding your heart and your spirit and your stomach, <laughs> you know? This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. Each week on the Arts Hour, representatives from the Mississippi Arts Commission speak with different creative people living in Mississippi. Today, I'm speaking with Mac's new Director of Artspace Community Development, Leslie Barker. So, Leslie, we've talked a little bit about your background in theater, and we've mm -hmm. talked about your passions for community engagement and the work you've done there. And as Artspace Community Development director at MAC, um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about kind of bridging the gap between the two and your thoughts on, um, you know, working with the community and, and yeah, what that looks like. Yeah, um, I think, you know, I am really, really grateful for a background in theater because, like I was saying before, it's very much, yes, I love to write and I love like the solitude that comes with that. But it, whatever I do, even with that, always ends up in a room with other people, you know. Um, and I think that, that the thing I love so much about theater is that you cannot, whatever you create in the room with a group of people is something you could not have created by yourself. And there's like frustrations that come with that. And there's, you know, beautiful epiphanies that come with that. And there's like, there's a sense of family and camaraderie. Um, there's a, a director that I really like that says collaboration is not agreeing. It's respect, respectfully disagreeing. And, uh, and I have to remind myself of that because, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, pushing and pulling in those areas. But I say all that to say, um, I think that for me, it was like learning what a community should work like, you know, because, um, there are directors, there are, you know, artists who would go into a room and be like, this is how we're going to do it and just do it now. You move that way, move this way. But I really love the, like, how do you see it? How do I see it? And how do we meld those things together? And let's make sure that we're all working towards the same goal. Let's start and make sure we're on the same page. And to me, like that theatrical ensemble or an artistic ensemble is it's kind of like this like model or like microcosm of what a healthy community is, in which case everyone's voice is heard. Everyone's voice is respected. Everyone, you know, pulls their own weight. And that's that's when that's when it's healthy, you know. And, you know, you know, from a small I mean, 
doing group projects in class. You know, so, so everybody has their different, you know, opinions on those. But you know that when you're doing something with other people, you know when it's not working well because everyone's not being heard or offering something. And so um, the arts, I think, like for me, it wasn't only a way that taught me how to work with community and what I what I would like to see in a community, but it's also a tool that we can use, It's you know, to reach other people, mm-hmm. um, to get everybody on the same page, to get us sharing our stories, to get us working together as, as a healthy group, you know. Um, so I'm really excited to see what, and I'm starting to learn this, but to learn about what the organizations in Mississippi are doing. I'm going to be working a lot with the arts councils and also a lot with organizations who might not be arts organizations who are going to, who want to do artistic projects, but like, how do we, you know, how, how we're doing that. I'm excited to see what people are doing and, and, and how I can help them. I'm like, I'm here to say, how can I help? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think, I think that's really, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I think that's really worth clarifying for, for people who um, either know about the arts commission mm-hmm. or know a little bit, maybe aren't sure what kind of grants we offer, or maybe they might understand the more traditional um, arts that Mac offer, mm-hmm. excuse me, grants that Mac's offer, such as, um, you know, for museums mm-hmm. or um, theaters, but arts-based community development, that department is mm-hmm. sometimes a little head-scratcher, you know. Yeah. And I think you said it very well by saying that a, a lot of it is offering grants to non-arts organizations mm-hmm. to do arts-related projects, mm-hmm. right? Not always just community development per se, right? but it's offering... It's kind of the area of MAC that looks Mm -hmm. at non-arts organizations Mm -hmm. to kind of spread that out. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I I mean, I I find that exciting because I want people to know that the Arts Commission does fund those who aren't artists. Yeah, I mean, that could look like so many different things. Just what I'm, you know, learning about that's happening, you know, things that are happening in, in Mississippi right now, it might be a music festival, it might be a class for kids, it might be, you know, any number of things that, that, you know, that cover all of the arts. But I think that in when, you know, we're looking at that area, the arts may not be the goal, but the means. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, I love that because, um, it, you know, going back to that, how do we connect? How do we understand each other? And, and how do stories help that? I feel like, you know, a lot of times, and people just kind of inherently understand, I have this goal. And especially a lot of times with young people, how am I going to get there? And they're drawn to to the arts or gathering people. You know, when people want to gather, well, we're going to gather around music or we're going to gather around some entertainment. And that's just this thing that draws us together. Yeah, I, uh, you know, as the as former arts-based community development director, <laughs> I can't help but, but you know, kind of add to this idea of, yeah, it, it can be used as both kind of the process mm-hmm. and the product itself. It's mm-hmm. not always the product, but I think it's, it's interesting to see, and I think this is a growing movement, to use the arts in facilitation, mm-hmm. in community meetings, in public meetings. Um, you can use the arts in ways to, um, in, you know, city planners to engage mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. Um, at all different levels. And so it's very, um, 
I don't want to say meta, but it's, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it, it's happening in all these different levels mm-hmm. where I think we're so used to thinking that the art is the product mm-hmm. that we kind of lose the steps along the way. Yeah. It's, you know, just an interesting part of, I think, um, integrating community and the arts in ways that, in ways beyond festivals, in ways mm-hmm. beyond we're used to thinking about mm-hmm. how those two things work together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's amazing, like, you know, what 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 the arts can do. Like, I, I have a friend who um, uses theater to teach young people their rights so they know how to interact with, like, law enforcement, you know. Um, so there's just... We retain things in a way when we experience them with the way that we experience art, you know, and and I keep meaning to say this, but forget. But as far as, you know, sharing stories goes, I, I believe that if you really hear somebody's story, you, you can't really dislike them. Not in the same way, you know, like not in the same way. There's a, there's an understanding that happens when you really, really listen to someone that just tears down the divisive things between us, you know, and tears down the walls between us. And I think that it makes the arts in general make us listen to those stories, whether it's looking at a painting, you know, drawing next to someone in a class, uh, you know, whatever it is, I think it just makes us stop and hear each other and see each other in a way that we don't today, especially when we have so much technology, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so going off this idea of, you know, kind of telling your story and really listening, I know that one of the ways that you really express yourself is through writing. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit more about writing, especially for people, you know, it's something that reading, writing, or it's particular, right? We all know it's part of life. We get it. Yeah, yeah. But, like, as a writer, as a self-identified writer, um... Tell me about, I don't know, growing that and where you were with it, where you're at with it now and something along the way. Yeah, I think like one of the the coolest things about writing is exactly what you were saying a minute ago. It's not about the, for me, it's not about the product. Sometimes it's about the process. It's about how do I articulate this thing that I'm feeling, that I'm thinking, that I'm frustrated about or happy about or whatever I don't even know I am about until I, until I write it down. Um I, you know, I think for me, it's become like I used to write as like a feeling, you know, I feel like this, so I need to write this. But I think over time, it's become more of a discipline. Um, I have a friend that for about four years, we're not doing it right now, we need to pick it back up, but we wrote back and forth every day. Um, so like one day he would write, one day I would write. We uh, went to school together and then lived in different states. And it was kind of a way to like challenge each other and be accountable artistically. And um, for literally like four years, every every day, like one of us would write and the next day the other would. Just whatever. I mean, it could be a short story. It could be a journal entry. It could be my, you know, whatever happened in your day. Or it could, you know, several times um, it would end up being a, a play that I wrote for um, some kids I was directing or something that would just write. I would happen in pieces. And that taught me how to do it um quickly, <laughs> quickly, but also, uh, how to do it without as much self-consciousness. Cause I think we like, it's easy to self judge mm-hmm. and the more you do it, the less you self judge, you know? Um, 
But to bring it a little bit back to Mississippi, I'm I feel like just about everything I write has some Mississippi in it, you know, and I, I think that I personally am really drawn to um to place, like to things that have a sense of place. Um you know, I I, I think it's Tom Waits that says that writers should give their audience a piece of the earth, a piece of earth to like ground them. And uh, I am so drawn to things that that ground something in a place. And um, so I think some of my favorite things that um, I've gotten to work on, like from from a writer's end, have been uh, things about Mississippi. I wrote a piece one time called Rocky Springs. Um, which was totally different for me because it was a horror piece. It was for a contest with the audio theater company called Chatterbox that I worked with. And I just did it because there was a contest and I wanted to get something I wrote like on, on the air. And so it ended, I ended up writing this piece about Rocky Springs, which if you're from Mississippi, you might be familiar with. Um, but you know, it used to be a town and now it's like a, a park, you know, you can visit, but we used to go when I was a kid and they have these gullies and we would climb up these hills to the old church and the, um, cemetery. And so I wrote this ghost story set there and, um, and then, uh, wrote another piece one time called Front Porch Fairy Tales that was like, just like the language that I grew up hearing, the na- the names in the South that I grew up hearing, little pieces of stories passed through my family. And, you know, I think I think one thing that's so cool about it is that I don't think any of those I could really claim. I think they just kind of, I think the only time I like my own writing is when I feel like it came through me and not from me. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mississippi has a funny way of, of doing that and coming through you in your writing when you're from here. It's in your blood. And so, um, so I'm... I embrace that, and I'm grateful for it. So. Well, I I love the idea of writing as a discipline as yeah. well. Um, you know, I've always heard that it's not necessarily about what you write; it's that you write. Mm-hmm. It's just write write something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's but it's so hard, as you said, not to self edit. Not oh, to yeah. you know. Um, I remember a friend in college asked me one time if I edited my own journal, and, and <laughs> it, it wasn't even about me. It was just that question in general of. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're editing our own private thoughts even. You know, we're yeah. so used to that that I think the discipline of just writing just because yeah. you can really develop that skill. I mean, you, you found that to be true. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I think there were two. That was kind of twofold. Like one was like I stopped editing myself for myself. But also there's something about letting other people read your work that's a little bit nerve wracking. And I think that just sort of ripped the Band-Aid off. It was like I was in the practice of it. I can do it now. I'm going to survive. It's OK. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, even if it's not great today, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, the other thing that I really like miss about doing that, I think we both stopped because we were super busy and had both started new jobs or something. And um, we're like, we'll get back to it. And then we haven't. But um, one of the other things I noticed when I stopped doing it was how it changed the way that I see the world. Like I noticed every little thing a lot more because I was constantly like, what am I going to write about today? So I was banking everything as a story um, and, and not in like a like not in a, you know, any kind of formal way or even exploitative way. It was just more of like a everything is so much cooler when you're looking at it when you're giving it the importance of what is the story behind that or like everything is more beautiful when you're looking at it, like 
I, like, I remember writing a piece one time about a plant in my window leaning towards the sun, you know, and it's like those things, the things that we miss if we don't look at them. There's something about looking at something through the eyes of an artist that just gives it more beauty, more importance, more weight, you know, and um, I think that's. I think that's what our world needs. I think there's a lot of things that, that need artists to look at them and, and filter them and filter them through those eyes, not change them, but to, to give them back to us in a way that we understand it, you know? Um, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I would encourage um, anyone out there listening who's interested in um, arts-based community development work or learning about um, some of the grants that the Mississippi Arts Commission gives um, to be sure and contact Leslie, um, contact the Arts Commission. Um, and I know we would just love to speak with anyone out there interested in, um, you know, project ideas and, and different things that you um, have planned for your community. And we're always happy to talk through ways that the arts can help benefit that. Leslie, thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank you. On today's show. So thank you everyone for listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour. If you missed part of this interview or you want to listen again, you can go to mpbonline.org backslash Mississippi Arts Hour. And be sure to tune in each week for the Mississippi Arts Hour, a co-production of MPB Radio and the Mississippi Arts Commission.